So I'm assuming that you felt the somber tone of that final song there. And that was intentional. As we come this morning to 2 Timothy, it is Paul's final letter that we have prior to his, as history would hold, his being beheaded for the gospel at the hands of the emperor Nero there in Rome. And so Paul writes to his young pastor, his right-hand man, Timothy, declaring to him to remain faithful, letting him know that trials are already abounding for Paul and for Timothy and indeed for us, and that more will come. And yet in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those suffering, in the midst of the hardship that we faced, there is the reminder that as our days, so our strength shall be. Hear now the word of the Lord, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-12 through 12 will be our text for this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask now that you might speak and that your servants would indeed listen. We pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. I asked to share permission from Miss Sandy and Corey, but I want to recount just briefly my last conversation with C.W. Gall. As he lay there in that hospital bed, I can remember back after years of battling cancer, and yet his mind was still sharp mentally, and even more so his love for the Savior was abounding. On that last conversation that we had, I did a lot of listening. He remembered back on things in his life and in the church and his family. He reminded me of what was most important and how I could not shrink back from preaching the gospel. Finally, C sought to ready me for his departure and how I might best serve the church and minister to his family in the days ahead. And so some ways I still want to honor C by ending well here. I hope to serve you well in the course of this last month as our time here comes to a close. I can still hear him telling me again on that day what he shared so often with his church. Death is but a step. Every one of us here is but a step away from death. 
And as C so often urged us, trust Him. Trust in the Lord. I share this because we often, all of us, but especially those who are younger, can lose sight of what really matters in life. We can lose sight of what life is about. It's often because in the midst of hardships or discouragement or maybe desertion from those we love. And this and more can cause us to not hold fast to this gospel. Thus we need all of us, older men and women, seasoned saints, who have walked well and long with the Lord, to come and share with us how they remember things, to remind us of what's important and to help ready us for the days ahead. That's what Paul's doing here with Timothy. He's going to remember things. He's going to remind him of what's important, and then he's going to ready him for the days ahead, saying to him and all of us, don't lose sight of what matters most. Fan the flame. Don't be ashamed. Again, Paul writes this letter in likely sometime late 60s A.D. Paul himself is likely about 60-something, and he's writing again to this young pastor, Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so he writes to Timothy, talking to him specifically as a pastor and what he is to do, but he also finishes the letter with these words in verse 22 of Second Timothy 4. He says this statement, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. So as Paul writes to Timothy, he also writes in a way in which he believes or, or, or wants this letter to be read to the entire church. That not only Timothy would be spurred on and encouraged, but the church would be spurred on and encouraged to say, church, don't grow weary in doing good. Church, don't give up. Church, don't throw in the towel in the midst of suffering. Church, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And so, as our time comes to a close here, I thought, man, what more fitting than to proclaim this gospel, this hope from Paul's final letter. Look at me now, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what he says again. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear how Paul began that letter? It's a traditional greeting, as Paul so often does in his letters. But notice what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I mean, if you think back on Paul's life, Right, and, and you step there in Acts chapter 9, you know that Paul was, it says, breathing out murderous threats. And he had left on that road toward Damascus to, to find more believers that he might throw them in prison or have them killed as Stephen was in Acts chapter 7. But it was there on that road that these words, by the will of God, is that God's will intervened in Paul's life. That Paul... Life was transformed by the gospel that Paul, the persecutor, became Paul, the persecuted as he began to preach that Jesus was truly the long awaited Messiah that the Jews had been looking for. And then we heard in Acts 16 that Paul went to places like Lystra and Derby, and it was there that he arrived in the hometown of a young man by the name of Timothy. We don't have all the details of how their relationship began and, and those things, but Again, Paul at some point came to the town of Timothy preaching the gospel. And so now Paul writes this letter here, imprisoned in Rome, soon awaiting his death as you're going to hear in the coming weeks, Lord willing. 
about how near his death is. And what does Paul do? Well, he does what older people are prone to do. He begins by remembering, doesn't he? Look what he says. It's our first truth. Just remembering. Verse 3 and 4. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul gives thanks to God as he remembers Timothy. And why is that? Well, the rest of the letter gives glimpses. Paul has accounts again and again that he's been deserted. That when he was on trial, nobody stood up for him. Paul remembers that people have turned against him because of this preaching of the gospel. People he was close to. People that he had loved and shepherded and cared for. But when he thinks about Timothy, he remembers a beloved child. One who has remained faithful. And now Paul is going to urge to keep remaining faithful. Not only does he remember about Timothy's life, and he's giving God thanks for that, he also remembers the tears, seemingly back to their last time that they were together, and he thinks about their separation. Notice what he says, I long to see you. Chapter 4 is going to give some indication that Paul is sure hoping that, that Timothy is coming to visit. So while this is the last letter, Paul has hopes that they will be together again. But Paul's not finished remembering. Look what he does further, verse 5. He says, I am reminded... Of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What a legacy. A faith that was passed on from a grandmother to a mother to a grandson. Brothers and sisters, that is the picture that we want to hold before our families. We don't want our children lost chasing the American dream and miss out on the Christian dream. A legacy of faith of holding fast to this gospel, of hearing our Savior, what shall it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? This is what is beautiful. I'm reminded of your granny Lois. I'm reminded about your mama Eunice. I'm now persuaded that the faith that your granny had, your mama have, you now have. If that's your legacy, that you have grown up in a family of faith this morning, you ought to thank God for that. Paul's doing that. He's thanking God for it. But maybe you're here and you don't have that legacy. I don't know if you notice, but Timothy's legacy isn't perfect either. Did you notice who's missing, who you would think would be named? His daddy. Other accounts in the gospel, as you look in the book of Acts and even in, the Ro- in Romans, the indication is, is that Timothy's dad was not a believer. He was a Greek. And so he hasn't grown up maybe in the picture perfect like you might think. Man, that would be what if a pastor was going to grow up, that's the home he'd grow up in. No. So I might say to you that maybe you haven't grown up in the Christian home or maybe you didn't have that legacy passed on to you. Man, my hope and prayer is it begins with you. That you might become that godly mom or dad. That one day, by God's grace, you might become that godly grandma or grandpa. Passing that legacy on to others. But I think all of this reminds us, again, as our time here comes to a close, as Paul's time comes to a close. It's just good to remember, isn't it? It's good to remember. Memories are a gift from the Lord. In fact, Moses in Exodus chapter 13, verse 3, he commands the people with this, Remember this day that God brought you out from the land of Egypt. Like he says, listen, remember it. And in fact, in some way we could say, man, the Exodus is really a picture of all that's happening from Genesis to Revelation. It's the, the people of God are remembering it. They, they celebrate the Passover, but we know that, guess what? They look forward to a greater exodus. 
when greater than Moses would come on the scene, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would deliver his people not out of physical bondage, but spiritual bondage and lead us into the promised land. Thus, it was our Savior who said on that final night, right before he was betrayed. Take this bread and drink this cup. I tell you the truth, as long as you do this, you do this in what? Remembrance of me. Jesus expected us to remember, to think back on what he had done. I think about Alan Jackson. He sings about how we should remember. He said, remember when, when we said, when we turn gray, when the children grow up and move away. We won't be sad, but we'll be glad for all the life we've had. And we will remember when. Paul's remembering when. He's looking back. He's thinking back over Timothy's life. As our time comes to a close, I I tend to be nostalgic by nature, but I often find myself remembering when. I remember when Chuck got a little bit flustered in that old gym that's now been, I'm sure, condemned, and there was no air condition. And that night he was in there, and that ball gently came rolling across the gym floor. That was the night that Chuck transitioned from middle school to high school ministry. It was. Or I remember when we stood in this place at the funeral for our buddy Devin, who was 12 years old. In the midst of tears, we gave God thanks that by God's grace, he sent a little young man to get on our bus. And by God's grace, we had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and hear him confessing Christ as Savior. You see, church, it's good to remember. Some will bring a smile to your face and others may bring a tear to your eye. But it's important that we remember. I would encourage you, maybe as our time comes to a close, man, a great gift you say, man, what is something maybe we could just say thanks and encourage you with? Man, I would love for you to share memories. Again, I told you I'm I'm nostalgic by nature, but if you would have time, just maybe write out a memory or two of our time together. I think it would just encourage us and our family and you just to give God thanks. So Paul here, he's in prison in Rome, his time of death is coming to a close, and he's remembering. But if you've spent time around older people or those who are heading toward the end of life, often they're not just simply remembering. They often might remind you, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but you remember like probably you had times when maybe you, you left your grandparents or your parents as they were getting older, and they'd remind you, right, don't forget about that turn or watch those deer right there. or Don't you, you know, like, I mean, just they try to remind you of those little things like, I get it, Mom, right, or I get it. Like, okay, you told us. Just some things bear repeating. They do. That's just good parenting. That's good loving from your grandparents or whoever or that teacher at school, the person at church. Here's Paul. He's reminding Timothy. Look what he reminds him of. Verse 6 and 7, 2 Timothy 1. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. Paul reminds Timothy to fan in the flame. Some translations, yours may say, rekindle the gift of God. We might ask, well, has Timothy grown cold spiritually? Like, what's happened? Like, is it, he's a pastor. Like, what's, what's wrong with him? But I think the following verses may give us some clarity and throughout the letter. Notice again what he says after this verse in verse 6 about fanning the flame, the gift of God. He says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but a power and love and self-control or a sound mind. He's reminding Timothy, listen, there may be a temptation for you to shrink back. 
The opposition is going to be real. It's going to be fierce. I mean, that's throughout the letter. Like, you're going to face challenges just like I've been facing challenges. You should expect it. And so, again, the temptation seems that maybe he's, he's going to give up in some way or, or step back in some way. And so Paul reminds him, what is most important? That's what he says. To fan into flame the gift of God. What is this gift of God? Well, Paul says there, notice what he says, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul also recounts there in his first letter about how when it probably what we might call an ordination service. It says when the council of elders came and laid their hands on you, this gift of God. And so we might ask, well, what is this gift of God to Timothy? I think it seems fitting that Paul is probably speaking about the gift of preaching and teaching. It's been given to him. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul or any other elder has the power to give this gift. I mean, Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Spirit is given to each one, right? The common manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And, and the Spirit is the one who appoints the gifts. So this isn't saying, oh, man, we have the power to, uh, to bestow upon people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But Paul's saying, guys, don't forget, Timothy, don't forget, I was there. Don't forget the gift of God that is in you. It's a gift from God. And so maybe Timothy here is being tempted because of the opposition to shrink back from preaching and teaching the word. Maybe because ministry has gotten busy and his focus has got on to other, other really good things. Paul is ushering him back saying, Timothy, don't forget what is of first importance. Timothy, do not forget the preaching of the gospel. Fan it into flame. Don't lose sight of what is most important. Maybe you think, man, I, I don't know. I'm not convinced by that. Maybe you think this isn't that big of a threat if Timothy's worried about and doing other things. It's right. Doesn't he have other priorities? Maybe this illustration will help. My papa was one of those was a wood burning stove. Any of you like wood burning stove people or had your grandparents? All right. I can still remember we would walk in like with snow up on the ground. and The door would be wide open. I'm like, what's going on? Because heat was rolling out of that bad boy. And man, it, it just didn't matter. He just, man, he would just keep throwing in more and more and that stove would get hotter and that house would be like, man, so it'd be like middle of, it'd be like some of the middle schoolers, right? Like I'm dropping middle schoolers off each week and like, it's like snowing, like below zero and they're walking in shorts and t-shirts. I'm like, what is up? Right. But th that was kind of how we did. But, but there's also the opposite effect that if Papa didn't get enough wood in that stove, you know what soon started to ha happen to the entire house? Got cold, didn't it, Dr. Romine's? I think Paul is saying to Timothy, if you don't keep the main thing, the main thing, if your aim isn't faithfully preaching and teaching this word, what will happen is just like in a house where the fire begins to go out, there'll become a cold draft. He's urging him, this is fan it into flame, Timothy, the gift of God. Preach this word. I wonder today if Paul was reminding you and he was saying to you, fan into flame, the gift of God, what would he be referring to in your life? As you're serving, grown cold. Maybe you're giving. Would Paul be talking to you if he said, hey, listen, we need to talk about the fan in the flame, the gift of God. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement and you've just been kind of shrinking back from that. We need to hear Paul saying to Timothy, if you don't preach this gospel, then who will? This past week, I, I, was, I was reading and studying and the, the authors of the mission of God and they were talking through just different things about the church and all these different areas the church can have focus on. And then this, this statement kind of came as a clarifying moment. It said, what is the one thing 
in this world, the church doesn't do it, it won't happen. Brothers and sisters, there is a lot of good things the church can be about. But I want to remind you as I come to a close that the one thing that will not happen unless the church does it is the preaching and sharing of the gospel. There are all kinds of other organizations that will do a lot of good things. And I thank God for a lot of those good things. And we need to be about a lot of those things, mercy ministries and things. But brothers and sisters, let us not ever lose focus of what is the one thing that no one else will do or share unless the church does it. And that is the proclaiming of the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life only in him. Let that be your barometer. Let that be your focus. Let that be your North Star. Let that be what guides and guards and protects and leads the church for now and throughout all ages. Amen. The preaching of the gospel, the proclaiming the gospel. Amen. I'm clapping with you, brother, sister. Amen. It's a necessity. And so Paul is, is remembering. He's reminding Timothy. And now he comes to this place in verses 8 to 12 where he begins to ready Timothy for what is next. He begins to ready him. And I think in maybe three ways he readies Timothy here. First, with a call to not be ashamed of the gospel. You heard it during our time of confession. But listen to what Paul says here. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul's remembering and reminding has a purpose that Timothy won't be ashamed of this gospel. And why might Timothy be ashamed? Because standing on this gospel brings suffering. Here recently I was having a conversation, sharing the gospel with someone from the LGBTQ lifestyle. And they continually came back to the question, so are you telling me that what I'm doing is wrong, what I feel is wrong? Are you telling me that's sinful? And so I would just go, just as I have in many of those conversations, to places like 1 Corinthians 6, to Romans 1, to 1 John 3. And in love, share the truth. Brother, sister, you are created in the image of God to know and to worship Him and to honor Him, not only, right, but with your body, with all that you are. We, all of us, there's not some separation of body and soul, but all of who we are. And so I just began to urge that individual, just as I've urged different ones over the years and sharing and having those conversations in places like 1 Corinthians 6 where it says, don't be deceived, you're going to be deceived. Here's who will not inherit the kingdom of God, the sexually immoral, liars, murderers, adulterers, homosexuals, and on and on. He gives this list of people. And then he says this glorious hope that I share with this individual as I was sharing the other day. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, there's hope, believer. There's hope for your lost family. There's hope for your lost friend. There's hope for those who are enslaved to that way of life. And the hope is the gospel. It is this very power, but the temptation can be in this culture. And maybe even in your own family and amongst your own friends. To grow really quiet about what God's word and the gospel has to say. Maybe we ought to hear fresh and new Paul saying to us today, therefore, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Again, there's going to be pressure. It's going to be offensive. It's going to appear not loving. 
Again, that doesn't mean that you have to be not loving. And, and, and you might say, man, how will I ever do this? Look what he says. But share in suffering for the gospel, verse 8 there, by the power of God. It's God's power that strengthens us. So again, when we're tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, to let that flame go out, to, to shrink back in our culture or our family or on the job site, Paul says, guys, here's the source of our fire. Here's what undergirds us and stands behind us. Here's what assures us and compels us to keep fanning the flame. It's the gospel. Look what he says. It's the gospel. Who saved us, verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, don't forget, Timothy. Tim, don't forget how you came into this family of God. It wasn't because of your good. Look what he says. Not because of your good works, not because of my good works. But because of God's own purpose and grace. He says, being a child of God isn't an accident. God has a purpose. He delights in showing His amazing grace. You see, before the creation of the world, God had already ordained and planned the creation, the fall that happens there in the garden, the redemption that is available through the death and resurrection of Christ, and that there is coming, as Paul will say throughout his letter, that day or the day or the day that's ahead when God will restore all things. None of this is an accident unless you think you're a day believer. You've grown discouraged and weary. As we sang in that last song, you feel like maybe you're an afterthought. Hear again what Paul says. Verse 9, look at it again. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before. I mean, this is similar to what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1 and 4. He says, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. We might hear Paul saying to Timothy the words of Revelation 13 and 8, that your name was written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. You see, Timothy and all those who will preach and then all those who will follow Christ, there's a calling to fan the flame. That's the responsibility we have. But what assures us? What assures us that we won't give up? What assures us that we will maybe just throw in the towel? The assurance is the power of the gospel. It's the power of God. It's the good news of grace. It's the one who, as Jesus says in John 10, is in the Father's hand and in His own hand, He says, and no one may snatch or pluck you out. the power of the gospel friend it's the power of god and that's what timothy is there saying to us he's reminding them listen you were called to fan the flame but underneath your fanning underneath your work timothy never forget that it is ultimately the one the lord savior jesus christ he says in verse 10 who came and by his death he abolished death and through his life his resurrection he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel he says there in verse 10 it's this hope, this, this power. And so, again, Paul has been remembering and reminding, but here he's just readying. And I think the third and last way Paul readies Timothy with a call to remember that Paul himself wasn't ashamed, that he isn't ashamed. Look what he says, verse 12. I say what, verse 11 and 12. For which 
I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. Why, Paul? Look what he says. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. He says, listen, I'm in prison, impending death is coming. He's going to tell us in chapter 4. Like he's saying, listen, the time of my departure is now and it's coming, it's here. He said, but I want you to know that I've suffered all this and I'm not ashamed. I don't, I don't regret it. I, I don't look back and think, man, if I was still in that way of life or if I was doing that, I wouldn't be here now. No, he says, listen, all these things that have happened are for the sake of the gospel. Because I know whom I believe. I'm convinced that he's able to guard and protect me. You see, young people, the world will tell you the only way to make it is have self-confidence. Just believe in yourself. Do you, do you. But Paul's confidence here is not a self-confidence. It's a God-confidence. He's confident. Look what he says. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You see, Paul's confidence, it is not that self-confidence, it's a God-confidence. He rests not in his own wisdom in sharing the gospel. Paul doesn't rest in his own goodness to save him. No, he doesn't rest in his own strength to keep himself saved or even free himself from this current imprisonment. Paul's only confidence is what he says there. He is able. He is able. He is able. Hear that old hymn singing it, right? He is able. That's why we sing. What is our hope in life? And death. Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Church, you can rest today in knowing that God will guard you until you stand before Him on that day. For those who are in Christ, what hope and joy and strength that is in the midst of your heartache and sorrow that you're facing now. But Paul's argument here is not just simply one of logic that should stir our minds. It's also one of ethos, of passion. You see what Paul's done? It's almost like this great, I don't know, Oreo-like sandwich, right? There's on both these sides and this, this, this good news in the middle. Paul said, listen, Timothy, I, I want to stir you on. And he said, I, one way I want to do it, I want you to remember your granny and your mama. And on the other side, Timothy, don't forget about me, your father in the faith. And he's using both of these things to, to stir him up. So as you, maybe you look back and there is that godly legacy. Are you honoring those who have gone before you? Are you honoring their way of life and, and, and what they said before you in the truth of this word? Again, whether you have that legacy or not, man, you're blessed if you are, again, part of the local church. Because you've had such godly examples of men and women in this church body who have walked long and they've walked well with our Savior. And Paul uses both of those to say, let that urge you forward. Let that urge the fanning of the flame. To the unbeliever in the room this morning, the truth is you live in a culture right now that will support however you feel. It will affirm whatever truth you believe is true. And coming to this gospel will do what probably would not have happened in your grandparents' day. It'll bring shame. To come to this gospel in this culture means that you are saying that there is one absolute truth and all other ways do not lead home. 
You're affirming the words of our Savior and the words of the apostles and the prophets. And these words in this culture are seemingly like hate speech. But I want to be truthful to you today that you can follow that culture and you can follow this world and your own sinful desires. But there's coming a day when there will be another king who will judge. And he's both judge and he's jury. And his word will be final. And the only way on that day to be accepted by that king is to come under the blood of his precious son. There is no other salvation, for salvation is found in no one else than our Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for you on the cross. This urgency this morning is to turn from your sinful ways and the culture that's leading you astray and unto hell and come to Jesus Christ. I urge you with all that's in me. As our days grow wane, friend, as the, the sun is setting, our time together is short. This is the day of salvation. Now is the time for you. To the believers, I want to challenge you. They are godly, seasoned saints in this room. Some of them you've sit beside for years or you've seen them at a distance. Often you may recognize them by the gray hair or no hair. You may see them with the walker or the feeble hand. I want to urge you. Spend some time with them. Just as Miss Maxine Judd and I had a few moments last Sunday there at Cliff and Brenda's. To hear that sister remind me. That our hope is not in this world, but in the one to come. I want to urge you, young men and women. You'd say, well, what age is that? I'll know this. Nobody introduces me anymore as their young pastor. So at some point that changes. I don't know when that happens, but I'm telling you I'm there. None of you say it anymore. I want to urge you. Our lives are busy. But you're missing out on one of the greatest gifts God's given you. It's the people right here in this body. Spend a little time. Ask them to lunch or to breakfast. God forbid you cancel something in your own schedule so you can have time for them. Stinking busy. Missing the most important people right around us. Marching on to bigger kingdoms and better things. God's giving you gifts, friend. They're right here around you. Invite them to lunch. Clear your schedule. Ask them to remember things about their life and, and their walking with God. Ask them specifically say, will you remind me what's most important as you come to your end, as you see your sunset and your life coming that way? Will you just remind me? Would you tell me about how you suffered and what you faced that you might just ready my soul a little bit more for what's coming? This morning we're going to close by learning a new song. I'll be transparent with you. I heard it a few years back and I didn't like it. I didn't. I like, eh, it's not my favorite. But I share it this morning for two reasons. One, it's obviously grown on me, but I think twofold. One is the words that we're going to sing in just a moment in this new song that you're going to learn. I hope we're going to sing it a few times as our time here closes. But it, it echoes well Paul's words to Timothy, this idea of almost home. And then as our time comes to a close, I think it's a great way that we might just sing one to another. 
as, hey, listen, brother or sister, our lives, are we're, we're heading in some way on different lanes as we're going to be running ahead of one another. You're going to be running in your race toward Christ. I'm going to be running in my family and I, our race toward Christ. And it might just be one in which we just sing to one another, just reminding each other, we're almost home. Don't lose sight of where we're headed. Urging our souls. Thus we'll sing these words this morning. This journey ours together. It's been a good journey, hasn't it? We're almost home. Unto that great forever, we're almost home. What song anew we'll sing around that happy throne. Come faint of heart, we're almost home. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the days that we have had here together. What a gift it has been for you. From you. I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters this day that you will strengthen them in whatever days we have left, whether it is a few hours or a few years. Only you know. Father, strengthen us to not be ashamed of this gospel. Thank you, God, for the seasoned saints in this congregation. Lord, I pray that you today, by the power of your Spirit, might birth new relationships, intentionality, to revere the aged in this place, to listen to them, to invite them to come and share. Father, we thank you that you've given that as a gift to us. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for the faithful ones that have gone before us. Thank you for godly grandmothers and mothers, godly grandpas and godly aunts and uncles. And Thank you for teachers at school that you use to share the gospel. Thank you, God, for godly Sunday school teachers and for people that drive the bus and cook meals and people who stand watch in this crazy culture that we might be protected even as we're in here worshiping. Just thank you, God, for all the ways in which you work, all the gifts of your body. Thank you, Father. Thank you as I hear that little cry, the gift of life. Thank you even more so, God, for the gift of eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh God, I pray this church would remain steadfast at its true North Star, focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ and faithfully proclaiming the gospel from Greensburg to the ends of the earth. I pray it for the glory of our King who is soon coming. And the church said, Amen, Amen.